yeah, and thank you. Yes, you can applaud. Uh, this is amazing. And it, and it is, as Greg said, this is such a lean operation. It's amazing that you know, the bulk of giving is able to go and help other people. And we thank Topper for introducing us to Flint Global. Uh, the, we've been with one generation away, uh, many families in here for years and years. And Grace Works, I mean, there are so many good works. And there are, we have people who support us. We have a new country as well. It's um, a, a little cheating, but you know what? I don't care. Um, the Espinosas, which are dear members that are part of our team here. Uh, in fact, uh, Mary Alice is, is a member of our board. They are back in uh, Jaime's home right now, crossing the Andes in Ecuador, and they checked in, which means we have Ecuador. If you don't know what check-in means, it means that if you're on your an iOS device or you're on your phone or the like, you can, you can, or most laptops and such, you can go over and just make a comment. I'm, we're here from, and then put your, your city, your town, your nation. That means a lot. Now, if you're watching on your television, you know, your telly through uh, YouTube or the like, you can, uh, you can just put something in the comments. But we love it when you do that. We've been doing a series on the sin that occurred in the garden and what it meant to, to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then how it turned us into our own gods, judging right and wrong as we will. But the fact is, we, there is an aspect of this we need to talk about. And the, this uh, Sunday and next is going to wrap up this series. There's so much more we could say, but we're going to wrap it up a little bit with one of the problems that knowing about the story brings up. For example, Matthew 23, 23 and 24. Jesus turns to people and says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a, a, a gnat, but swallow a camel. If it, it was subtle, but you might have heard some judgment there. <laughs> what do we do about judgment? It's, um, the, remember, first of all, the sin in the Garden of Eden was not disobedience. It was disobedient, but that wasn't the sin. The sin was the replacement of God with us our judgment, our way of thinking, what we say is good and what we say is wrong, making ourselves the gods of our lives, considering ourselves able to determine without God at the center. However, there's a problem. There is evil. There is evil out there. There are men that are picking up rifles and handguns and entering hospitals and schools. There are women who've sold their babies for drugs. Babies are aborted and tossed aside in their millions by, in a country where in God we trust is on their currency. Domestic violence is at epidemic levels. We can take this to a, a greater scale. Russia shelling refugees in Ukraine knowing that the train was full of refugees. What do we say about this? 
What do we say to a man who is breaking his vows of marriage and endangering his wife, his ch children, his life, his soul? Are, are we allowed to say anything? If so, what and how? Since we are not judges. If we're not judges, I just how does this work? When scripture says friendship is like iron on iron. It, iron sharpens iron. Iron does sharpen iron, but it also throws some sparks. So is this a contradiction? Is this a, a fatal flaw in the story of the Garden of Eden? Well, obviously I don't think so, or I wouldn't be in this business. But I'm going to limit our responses today and next week to two different categories. One, what do we say to the professional judges in the clergy class who demand purity, clean hands, and a checklist of right and wrong before you are acceptable? How do, second, how do we deal with people who are broken with sin and who are in turn breaking others? It's a legitimate question and it's a pretty big problem actually. How do we invite into our fellowship people that we can see with our eyes, even though we're trying not to judge, they've got, got some dirt on them. How do we deal with this? Are we allowed to say anything? Are we supposed to say anything? According to my email, um, not, it's not a flood, but the trickle continues. People will say, we love, we love the church. We love your, your open arms, but we don't want you to be open arms to this. Or we don't want you to be open arms to this. And it's amazing because they all think that every Christian agrees with them, but they're picking different things. I got to tell you that this weekend was, um, was almost too much for me. Now, I've been going through, and don't pour me me. I have, I have so many blessings, I don't know where I'd put them if God gave me any more. Um, I'm weary after three weeks of 15-hour days, but a lot of that is because I go through what you go through. A mother that needed to be relocated, health crises, uh, memory care, all of that sort of thing. And then at the very end of it, I knew I, was, I, I had to go do a wedding. I'm not normally the wedding guy. I'm a lot more comfortable at funerals. Um, <laughs> there's a lot less stuff going on, you know, but... These were dear friends. I mean, dear friends. They were family. The little family. And some of you might know the twins uh, with John and Matthew Little. And we are still so close to them. I did not expect to interact much with people because I don't know the families all that well. I know some of them. Um, I don't know the people over there well. Don't think I've ever spoken in uh, Cookville or Crossville. So I was shocked and overwhelmed at the number of people who came up saying they watch what we do. And then they would talk about how it's changed their lives. How they've done 180 on this, that, or the other. And you know, for two or three or four of those, you can go, well, that's really good to hear. But when it starts getting up to, and I'm not exaggerating, into the 30s and 40s and 50s, and you've run out of cards because you didn't I didn't take enough, and Dave didn't take enough. And we were both out of cards. And people still were coming up wanting to know more. We have cards. Dave's saying we have cards. Yeah, but you know, if you want to know more about our safe harbor, visit the sound booth. No, we'll, we'll, we'll get them out. 
it was, I sat down with Cammie and I, I didn't eat much at the dinner, although the, they laid on. It was amazing. I said, I'm, I'm just not hungry. I'm, I, this is kind of too much to take. And one lady came to me and she goes, I have this whole table from my church and I want, you, I want them to know you because I'm going to talk to them about this. And I'm going, okay. And, and you just, you go on from one to the other. This is all great, but what do you do when you see evil? How do you, how do you handle evil? Who do you ban from our safe harbor? Spoiler alert, we don't, but we got to be very open about some things. The Old Testament, let me just go here. This is not exactly the right proportion because uh, these people added some stuff like maps and concordance. And anyway, Old Testament is the big thick bit there. It has a lot of bands in it. The Amorites can't come in. The Ammonites can't come in. The Moabites to the 10th generation. There's a very long list of those who cannot approach God. And you don't even have to be a foreigner. You, you just have, if you have any disfigurement, if you have um, any, any uh, disability, you're not allowed to approach the temple of God. And then there's a very long list of peoples that you are not to befriend. God didn't say, go into the land of Canaan. Teach them how to farm. Teach them how to raise chickens. Help feed them. No, he said, get in there and take the land. At least that's what it says. There are a list of sins. Oh, so many lists of sins. When I was a boy, we read through the Bible because that's what you're supposed to do. And you got little stars. When I hit Leviticus, I almost cheated. It's hard. But it also, it, you know what fascinated me? The rules of cleanliness and stuff were just driving me nuts because I, I just could not care less. Then it got to the list of sins. And I went, oh, because I wasn't aware that there were that many. And the creativity of the sins interested me. It's rather like when I was in school, I had no interest in drugs. And I've never taken any illicit or illegal substances. But man, I was not interested until they showed us the movies about not taking them. Because they were full of rock music and weird sounds and colors. And I was going, better than my life. <laughs> I had to get my... So you look at all these lists of sins. What do you do with this? And in fact, all of this requirements to ban people, shun people, punish people. And then Jesus comes and he welcomes all. He welcomes everybody that was once banned. He, he says that love fulfills all the law and the prophets. And by the way, he said, whosoever will may come. That is so not Old Testament. To the point where some early Christians, and some in later years as well, just decided, well, a different God must have written the Old Testament. No, no. God's in the Old Testament, but there's humanity too. And there are mistakes that people made. And every time God writes something about that, doesn't mean he's endorsing it. Just, for example, the, the vow of Jephthah, look it up. Just because God told the story doesn't mean God liked it. He put us in there, the dirt and all. And then Jesus comes and says, whosoever will. And we have to deal with this reality. Jesus saves. God is not willing, the scripture says, that any should perish. And if he's not willing that any should perish, 
why should we be comfortable with them perishing? Or feel that it is our duty to avoid them and shun them and ban them. Jesus was known, he was known for his outrageous love and canceling the bans. If you don't know this, uh, if you've been following my Jesus stories over the years, you know it. The book of Luke is all about who Jesus ate with. And all the way through, he eats with everybody you're not allowed to eat with. He really does. That cannot be a coincidence. He had to seek them out. He had to seek out Zacchaeus, if you remember that. He was going through the crowd. Yeah, crowd, crowd. Anybody in the crowd would have loved to have hung with Jesus. And yet he's walking around looking for the traitor and the cheat and the tax collector and saying, Hey, you. I'm coming to your house today. And he didn't whisper it in the ear. He said it in front of everybody. The bands are canceled. Jesus canceled them. We just took the blood and the bread and the body of Christ. He canceled them. He paid the price. And any church or any individual who is concerned about their reputation is going to, get a, going to have a hard time with this. Because you'll have a bad reputation if you hang out with bad people. You know, I've, I don't know an awful lot of country expressions. Um, different country. Um, loved, 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 loved the song. And, and I even smiled when I heard there was a, there was a foreign word there for, to me called thang. <laughs> I believe what that means is an object or artifact which is manifested in reality. Seeable, manipulable, a, a, a thing. Oh, a thing, a thing. Okay, I got it now. <sighs> Can't believe they won the war. Anyway, um, loved the song. We have a hard problem. It's a hard thing to give away your reputation and love the unloved. And love the unlovable. And love those that are making it hard to love them. They're, most churches want to guard their reputation. And so they have to judge and sort people constantly so that only the right people saying the right things can be seen as their people. I grew up in a church where we guarded our pulpits. We never ever let anybody up unless they had the checklist down. And, they, and in fact... If we thought somebody else had let somebody up that didn't hit all of our checked boxes, we were done fellowship in that church. We had to maintain the reputation of Jesus, which was a lie. We didn't know it was a lie. We did this out of the sincere beliefs in our heart, but we were wrong. Jesus canceled the bands. It was we who were trying to institute them again. It's rather like Jesus moving the Holy Spirit out of the temple and into us. And we have spent the last 2,000 years trying to drag him back into the temple and make our buildings holy places. When I was growing up, the Methodists called their auditoriums sanctuary. We didn't call ours that. No. But the Methodists could dance in theirs and we couldn't move in ours. And I'm thinking, I think it's a sanctuary. But thinking wasn't allowed either. We guard our pulpits. We guard our stages. <coughs> Excuse me. We put limits on who can teach and what they can teach. In fact, Christian 
a Christian publication I receive, more and more they're looking for ministers. Why? Because that particular tribe is crashing. And yet, as if while we're crashing, what we need to do is accelerate. That'll help us. In the ads, we want a sound preacher that preaches the old ways. And I'm going, okay then. Bye. That, I don't like that, but there it is. Good luck with eating the fruit. Because that's what takes you down. It takes you down to nothing. You'll never be who Jesus wants you to be if you're so concerned with your reputation or with that of your church that you filter out those who want to come in. Period. And I can prove it. The notes, um, Kirsten, I'm going to lean over so I, I don't say something, I, or I'll correct it. Are notes in the comments or a link to notes or something? Do you do that? Yep. She, she does that. All right, lovely. Thank you. Kirsten is amazing. She does stuff I don't even know about. There's a, you know. So I'm going to go through this very, very fast. But this is why God on the eighth day created a pause button if you want to do that. But also you can go get the notes. You can download them. And the notes, just like everything else we put online, no paywall. Uh, we will not put a paywall between Jesus and anybody. Although those who give help us to have something out there. So, you know, there you are. This is going to go fast. But Jesus walked with God, which meant he walked with people that God walks with in freedom and an outrageous, scandalous love. As a rabbi, read the Old Testament, he was not allowed to hang around women with scandalous reputations. But he did. And he welcomed them. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36 and forward, he even welcomed a sex worker who crashed a religious party. It's one of my favorite passages too. Because Jesus just let it keep going on and on. And then finally he said, hey, head judger person, have you happened to notice this woman? It's all he'd been thinking about. And Jesus forgave her and didn't even tell her to change her behavior. Look it up. Some he did. In John, he forgave her. He said, I don't have anything against you. Now change your life. Notice, even if or whether she changed her life, that wasn't part of it. He already held nothing against her. That's interesting. And in Luke 7, he didn't tell the woman to change her life, I think most likely, because she had no power to do so. Either this is the only way to feed her children, or she was a slave being pimped out by a master, and there was no... So he just told her, the religious people around, she loves me much and I've forgiven her much. Wow. That's, wow. By the way, it's not, those aren't the only two. Luke 8, Luke 23, so many. He wasn't allowed to be around gluttons at all. We don't talk about gluttony in America. That's, that's the unspoken but still seen sin. Proverbs 28, 7. You're not allowed to be around them. Jesus was. And in fact, he got, people said, he's a drunkard and a glutton. Look who he's hanging with. He wasn't concerned about his reputation. He fellowshiped tax collectors. I really need to just make sure you understand. Paying taxes, if you're in a state and you are working and you, you receive benefits, paying taxes makes sense. It's right. It's the way we fund governments as well. You can be opposed to taxes. That's all right to this or that tax. I understand. But they weren't evil because they were collecting taxes. It was because of the way they did it and for whom they did it. They were collecting taxes for an occupying force and it was rife with fraud. 
to where when you said someone was a tax collector, you were saying they were a traitor and a fraud who's stealing from people. Because that's, that's why they're, they're put there. Also, drunkards. People the community shunned as sinners in Matthew chapter 9, chapter 11, Luke 5, Luke 15. All of these are in the notes. He, he went out of his way to make us go, ah. He touched lepers. I want to tell you right now, touching, is, touching a leper is completely unnecessary. You don't have to. And if you're God, you can heal at a distance. Touching is superfluous to requirements, as I was a bit ago. That was, that was fun. You know, here's, here's talent, and here's Craig's talent, and there's Patrick. And I was going, okay, that's third guy in restaurant. I've seen that in the credits. But I'm cool with that. I'm cool. It, wouldn't it be great if we all understood we're not necessary? That our life and blessings are just a gift? It's amazing. God, I, I'm a little annoyed, but God was doing super well before I was born. And when I die, he's not going to go, oh no, what do we do now? It's just, so all of this is just, it's just icing on the cake or um, Southern gravy, um, which is a blood type down here. <clears throat> but in, but in, he touched lepers, not just once, Matthew 11, Matthew 26, Mark 1, Luke 17. And there were rules. Your people have to fast. Mark chapter 2, he didn't require his people to fast. Yeah. What are we going to do here? He, on the Sabbath, you will not work. Mark chapter 2, chap, uh, chapter 3, Luke 13, Luke 14, John 9, John 5. <coughs> he worked on the Sabbath, healed people on the Sabbath, helped people on the Sabbath. Why? Because they needed help. And that trumped the law. Oh, we're uncomfortable with this. Well, then what? I had one lady say, if we start doing these things in our worship, this is years ago, then we'll start looking like all the denominations. I went, oh, no. <laughs> we'll look like Christians. You know, it's just, um, that was inside. I did that inside. I was very proud of myself. But it just came out. The religious leaders of the day called every one of these things we've just mentioned sin. But Jesus said his actions expressed the will of God. Who are we going to believe? We need to ask ourselves, who are we going to believe? Jesus or the fruit? A church that is a true community reflecting the love of Jesus is going to attract sex workers, alcoholics, drug addicts, people that are... Different from us sexually, the LGBTQ, whatever else you'd add on that now, gamblers, gluttons, more. I probably should confess this. They told us, go upstairs this place, there's air conditioning and snack. There was air conditioning or snacks. I looked over, this is before the wedding, somebody had been playing a game of cards and there were chips around. Barb saw me do this. Only one or two had revealed their hand. And I'm going, oh, it's ongoing. So I went around, looked at the hands, and I went, this guy, he needs to put in more. So I threw in some more chips. <laughs> so whoever won the pot last night, you're welcome. <laughs> Gamblers, gluttons, any church that acts like Jesus acts is going to attract all of these people in fact, 
not just sitting, you'd see them singing on the stage, serving as ushers, volunteering for ministries. Churches that hang out by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil tell us we must immediately confront those people, not gluttons, we like them, but all, or, or not the people who store up too much on earth, or um, oh, and not the people who overwork, because that's American. Not, uh, let's, um, no, let's not do that. No. God calls us to be a church without barriers, walls, borders of any kind. That's why we say here that if you can say the Nicene Creed, you're welcome. And if you can't say it, you're welcome. We get that. We're not defined by a building, a creed, a set of mores, a checklist of ethical behavior. We're defined by lives lived by, through, and consumed by the love of Christ. Jesus warned against the sins of the Pharisees. That's what he was doing here in Matthew 23. Or the leaven of the Pharisees. In other words, you get a little bit of this in, it's going to change everything. Don't get this in your heart. That judgmentalism, that separatism, that fractionalism. He said that they tied heavy burdens on their backs, uh, on the backs of other people that they themselves could not carry. Paul repeated this and called out a warning. Looking over, I got some time. Romans chapter uh, 2. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based in truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? We lead people to repentance by being kind to them. Not by naming and shaming. We love them. I've had people ask me over the years, my child is doing this. And it could be something sexually. It could be with drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be, what, how do I reach them? And I'll, I'll say to them, if you believe they are sinning, the only response is to love them so much that when and if a crisis occurs, they know where to run. That is your only option. Anything else, they will run elsewhere, but not to Jesus. You've got to love them more than whatever else out there is loving them. And be patient. And if the crisis does not come in your lifetime, it's all right. God's not done. I've baptized a man in his 70s who his wife tried to take to church all of his life. But Bill Paul, who's now with Jesus, hard old Scottish man, a thug for the unions back in the day by his own words, a knee breaker there in Glasgow, his wife died and he was sitting there bitter, bitter and bitter. And then he got a leaflet through the door about us and he called me. He says, Ray, is that you put that thing to my door? And I'm going, um, there's no way you can trace this call, right? Uh, and he said, I want to talk to you. And I was going, all right, fair enough. So I went to Barhead up the road, the village, went in. And he looked at me and he waved. And he said, where have you been? And he told me a story. He said, I've been looking for somebody to come talk to me. Where have you been? I'm going, I just, I just got here. Baptized him. What a sweet man he turned out to be. What a loving man he turned out to be. Love is, his wife died thinking her love didn't do it. Oh yeah, it did. 
It just took a little while longer. So we love. One rule is this. Don't set up borders. Rule two, we make sure that if we need to express a concern about a belief or an activity in somebody else's life, we remember Romans chapter 2, 1 through 4, and we approach from a place of humility. And we look at them and say, you need to know something. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm still working on me and I've got some deep faults in me. And I would love for you to help me be a better person. So I'm going to ask you about something in your life, but you need to know something. This is not an accusation. This is not me drawing a line. You can help me to understand, or I promise you, even if I don't understand or agree at the end of it, I still want to be your friend who walks with you. Because think of Jesus here. All right? Those of you listening on audio, I don't know what to do here. Uh, Think of it as the top of a triangle. And we are at the other two corners. The closer we get, we may never get close to each other down here. But the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to each other. So you can tell them, listen, your sin's not my sin. There are some sins that have never tempted me. You know, illegal or illicit drugs have just never tempted me. There's There's a very dark circus going on in my brain already. And the last thing you really want to do is poke that thing. So I've never really been tempted with that. But if that's your sin, fine. Well, I understand. I have sins too. We can compare, contrast, and help. So I have a question. When Jesus confronted the Pharisees, and he did so bluntly, I'm sure it hurt their feelings and made them angry. So did he love them? Yes. But he also loved those who were being taught by him, by them being hurt by them. I really want to jump to a spoiler here. I think I will. Jesus never confronted the sins of anyone except the arrogant religious. Those who knew they were sinners were never shamed or confronted by Jesus. Those who didn't know they were sinners were never ashamed or embarrassed or attacked by Jesus. It was the religious leaders that were out there judging others that he got. And he said, no. Wow. Religious arrogance posing as righteousness has created divisions and diluted the grace, and not the grace, but the reputation of Christ far more than letting sinners in would. We have no right to be arrogant. In fact, in Matthew 23, that's what he describes. Arrogance. In my, in my last 30 years, I've traveled almost nonstop working with churches. And I've seen time and time a single man, sometimes a single woman, usually a man, or a cadre of men, or one family, destroy churches in the name of righteousness. I've seen them blow up families and churches Because they decided to judge this or that sin and require this or that belief while holding on to their own sins as minor and small in comparison. When you try to show them what they have done, they retreat behind a cloak of self-righteousness. And that is the sin of the Pharisees. And I know this well because I was raised in it and I participated in it proudly thinking I was doing the will of God. To my shame, to my shame. 
Now I realize that. And I thank God that God has given us our safe harbor to tell people it doesn't have to be this way. Not anymore. When Jesus confronted them, he did so with love. You can read Matthew 23 and go, oh, no, I'm not seeing the love. And yet, did you not notice what he then did? In Matthew 23, right after all of this, 37, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. He was saying this because he wanted them in. Very quickly as an illustration, this may help. I just looked, my time's up and we're... Yeah, we can go ahead and bring people up, all right? Um, I'm not a pacifist, and that has bothered some of my friends, and I understand that. I really do, because I think pacifists are, are heroes. They're, it's amazing what they, can, what they can do. One asked me, Would, are you saying you're willing to do violence to a man who's trying to come in your house? And I said, yes. Um, Although, at my size and my age, it's becoming less and less likely that'll occur, uh, that me doing the violence thing. And they said, but that means you don't love him. And I said, no, it, I love him. But I also love the people behind me. When Jesus went against religious, arrogant people, it wasn't because he didn't love them. It was because he loved those they were breaking. And he stepped between them. Our safe harbor is a place that steps between May God keep it so. God bless you.